interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Najwa, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. I figured we'd start things off with the earliest memory you have, which was in Lebanon, sitting outside with your grandmother, with her mm-hmm. telling you stories. I'd love for you yeah. to share one of those if you could. Yeah, so I spent so much of my childhood with my grandma because she always lived at our, we lived in the family home and she lived with us. And she and I actually shared a bedroom at one point we had there were two beds in there and so it was really sad for me to you know go back to Lebanon after I'd come here at 16 and you know go to that same bedroom and sleep that night and and look over and not see her there that was really difficult um I learned so much wisdom from her because as you know, older people usually will speak with no apologies and they don't really sugarcoat anything. And when they talk about life, they talk about it in a way that's extremely realistic and extremely wise, for lack of a better word. Like that is the best word I could I could use. So there were many nights uh, because the area we lived in Lebanon uh, didn't have power 24-7. It was more like it would alternate. It would have power for four hours and then the next uh, four hours had no power. So sometimes those four hours would fall, you know, at that time where the sun sets. And, you know, my village is on a beautiful mountain surrounded by mountains. And so it was beautiful for us to just sit on our balcony and just look at the sky, um, look at the open, you know, it's, it's not the same as living here. Here, it's like you look and you see other houses, whereas there you look and you see nature, you see the sky, you see trees, you see the valley, you see. And so um, I would always ask my grandma questions about life. I was very mature at a very young age. So I would always ask her questions about, you know, what makes a person happy? what makes a person sad why do people do bad things why do people do good things and you know and she would always answer me with adult answers it was never you know you're a kid you don't don't get any of this so I always felt like I was having a conversation with someone who I understood and who understood me and um, you know one of those moments would be I'm trying to think of some of the stories that she used to tell me. She would tell me stories of of, um, how when she was extremely young, um, how she experienced the war. And she would always say, uh, you know, the soldiers would come to our to our houses and we would give them tea and food like they were really nice to us if we were nice to them. And the lesson she was trying to teach me there was you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans. And sometimes people are in the wrong place because they have to be. But if you treat people with kindness and with the goodness of your heart, you inspire them to treat you in the same way. 
Um, and I always admired, like when I would think like, oh my God, she went through a war. I always admired how she talked about it in a way that it, there was no, f- just talked about it as, you know, something that everybody's gone through. Um, and I guess maybe as they were going through that, she didn't experience it that way. But when you look back at your life and, you know, at any traumatic events, you can have peace with them, you know? I didn't know that as a child, but I now that I think back to my conversations with her, that comes to mind. So going off that, you mentioned how your grandmother treated you like an adult, even though you were a child. Why do you think she did that? But I genuinely believe she spoke to me that way because she knew I could handle it. On some level, we, we connected like on a soul level and... Um, yeah, I think that had, has a big part to do with it. Yeah. You, you said once you honestly feel like you're 150 years old and how people always tell you you're an old soul. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? I definitely think it comes from spending quite a bit of time with my grandma, but also, um, I was I was the only one in my family born and raised in Lebanon, my siblings, five of them. So my parents got married in Canada, had five kids. And then one day my sister came home and my dad asked her a question in our first language, which is Arabic. And she didn't understand what he was saying. So it really hit him like my kids need to learn their first language. So uh, he moved to Lebanon, everybody moved to Lebanon. And eight years later, I was born. So my siblings were born very close to each other. Then eight years later, I arrive. So there's a big age gap between me and my siblings and then me and my parents. So I always, I was always surrounded by adults. And just like my grandma, my dad never spoke to me like a child. He spoke to me like a mature adult, which has its greatnesses, but it also has its drawbacks. And I I definitely think those drawbacks uh, showed up later in my life for me, um, but it I it, I feel silly trying to be silly. You know what I mean? It feels silly to me to mm. not look at things logically, maturely, um, and and you know, like there has to be something to be learned from something. It feels silly to me to spend time doing nothing. Um, and and I I don't mean as in it feels silly to me to be present because I love that. It feels silly to me that I don't take full advantage of what I could do with my time. And so that's why I say sometimes I feel like I'm 150 years old because if there were tasks that could fill 24 hours of my day, I would want to do those tasks over you know, not doing them. And that's not a good thing at all. But, but that's why I say that. And then when people message me saying, like, how do you know everything that you know? Or, you know, especially certain things that I haven't necessarily fully experienced in life, like, how do you know how to give that answer to someone who, you know, sent you their story, who's so unique, that's so unique, and that's so and and again, that's when I'm reminded that I don't know where all of this came from. 
I just know that I'm like this and I just know that I have the ability when someone tells me their story or when someone asks me a question about life or love or whatever there is this it's like there's a set of principles that I go by that guide me to answer that question in a way that is extremely um, wise. Sometimes, this is funny, because sometimes I, in my own life, I realize that I don't follow my own advice in certain moments because I get quickly caught up in the emotion of it. I was snapping my fingers because I'm like, I quickly get caught up in the emotion of it. And then later, I reflect on that and I say, that's not me. That doesn't reflect me. So it feels like what I know and the wisdom that's within me is much bigger than me, even. So, yeah, I hope that answers that question. (laughs) What's the most common thing or question that people are surprised that you're able to answer? It's anything related to processing emotions and being able to put them into words. Because the probably the most common comment I ever get from people or DM or email or whatever in person, you just put into words what I've been trying to say for 10 years or for 20 years. Like, how were you able to do that? I have the ability to understand an emotion inside and out. I have the ability to describe it in so many different ways. I have, I feel things in ways that seem, it, it makes life difficult sometimes because I can't not emotionally, um, be connected to something or to to like if I hear someone telling their story even if it's someone I don't know I immediately I'm there with them like I'm literally in that story with them I I don't have the ability to be heartless isn't the right word I don't have the ability to not fully embody the emotion that I'm experiencing or that someone around me is experiencing like if you're in the same room that I'm in and you're upset at something I can feel it right away and um, I know that that's a trait of highly sensitive people but I feel like I feel it at a much more heightened sense than most people would and so that's the comment I get the most like how can you understand emotions or feelings or how can you understand them and be able to put them into words like exactly how they feel and it's like I don't remember how I came to this point in my life but I do remember that I've always 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 been someone who feels deeply and who's very sensitive and who uh, just like I, I because I was constantly missing a consistent sense of love and belonging and feeling like I mattered to someone 
that I was constantly trying to understand how to explain what I'm missing. And so maybe that's what shaped me to be who I am today and gave me the ability to describe those emotions and those feelings so well because I spent so much time trying to understand what they were when I was younger leading up to, you know, I'm 31 now, but leading up to the most recent years of my life. I definitely want to go into your childhood, but before we do that, I want to ask about this great quote you have, which is the biggest reason we lack confidence is because we don't know ourselves. And when you don't know yourself, how can you be confident? Mm -hmm. How can we get better at knowing ourselves? You spend time with yourself. You listen to yourself. You. So here's the thing I was telling you earlier that uh, a lot of the times I catch myself not doing what I know to be the right thing to do. And it's because I could be very emotionally reactive. And if I just give myself time to process my emotions on my own and not project them or not try to get them resolved through someone else, which is literally why I wrote Welcome Home, because it's about coming home to yourself first before you go to someone else. So if you need validation on an emotion or if you need, if, if, if an emotion that you go through or a thought that you, that crosses your mind, if you feel like the only resolution is within another person or with someone else, then that's a state of abandoning yourself to go and seek answers outside of you. The answers are within you. So every time I catch myself not applying what I know, to me, the catching is so important like that's one part of knowing yourself it's the awareness knowing yourself doesn't mean that you're always going to do the right thing knowing yourself doesn't mean that you're always going to be able to predict how you're going to react in a certain situation or that you're going to control how you're going to react in a certain situation that's not that's not the end result of knowing yourself if that was the end result then you would have people out there who are perfect. No one's perfect. Knowing yourself is being aware. Knowing yourself is understanding that when you do make a mistake or make a mistake not just as in, you know, let me just make that a bit more clear. So make a mistake by your own right, as in react in a way that, doesn't resemble you or behave in a way that doesn't resemble you, use words or say words that immediately regret after saying them, things like that, they're going to happen and you can't get caught in the shame of how could I have done that? What you need to understand is why did I do that in that moment and what can I do to fix it? What can I do to make sure that next time I take time before I react that way or behave that way. It's that awareness piece and the willingness to grow from it. But the first piece is the awareness. It's catching yourself. It's so important that you do that and not just live your life in a way where everything that you see about yourself is based on how others react to what you see. So if they feel... um, 
if they make you feel like they're disappointed in you, instead of you focusing on the fact that maybe you just did something that you genuinely need to apologize for or and 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 reflect on like why did I do it and what can I do to make it better if you're constantly just focused on how others are reacting to you and how you can fix how they're feeling you're not really working on yourself you're looking at you're looking at others approval of you and taking that as a signal that I need to change in a way to please that person as opposed to I need to change in a way to be the best that I can be. So in Welcome Home, I talk about how important it is for you to have a very strong foundation. And I talk about the two elements, self-awareness and self-acceptance. So once you've become aware, not just in, in little moments of who you are, what your behavior is, what your, you know, once you, those aren't, those are moments of awareness, but also be aware of why you are the way that you are now based on everything that you've gone through. So one of the realizations I make in Welcome Home is I've always operated or not I've, I had at that point always operated in my life as someone who doesn't deserve to be held on to and someone who doesn't deserve to be loved. So every time I would go through an experience where someone would walk away or something would end or something that I was working very hard to get to wasn't being given to me I would go to that conclusion see you don't deserve to be held on to you don't deserve to be part of something you don't deserve love you don't deserve belonging and once I became aware of that and then I became aware that the story that the first story in my life that taught me that when I was very young I was eight or nine years old once I became aware that that moment literally had nothing to do with me as a person. It was someone else's choice to tell me that I, or make me believe that I didn't deserve to belong, to be part of something. I didn't deserve love. And in Welcome Home, I talk about it as that. I didn't deserve that. And so once I became aware that that story was shaped for me at an age that I couldn't make sense of it enough to say that's not true I just thought it was true and so because you know there's an adult who's telling me it's true so it must be true so I operated from that place so once I became aware of that and became aware of how that made me operate from a place of constantly begging people to see me as worthy of belonging and as worthy of love, then instead of being ashamed of coming from that place my whole life, I became understanding of myself and accepted, like radically accepted. I may have now, with everything that I know, I may have behaved in ways that really projected a um, you know self-abandonment on my part that really projected lack of self-worth and lack of self-esteem and I put myself in situations where I was so hooked on other people's validation and other people's love and other people seeing me as worthy of love that I let myself down so many times so instead of resenting myself for that 
I understood that what I was asking for was love and belonging, not someone walking away, not someone letting me down, not someone taking advantage of me. So instead of blaming myself for all of those outcomes as a result of of me being who I was and, and seeking what I was seeking, I understood myself and accepted like I said, radically accepted everything that brought me to this point in my life. So become aware of how you are and who you are and how you behave in certain situations momentarily, but also throughout your life leading you up to this point and accept every little bit. And that acceptance does not have to mean that you are okay with those things happening it just means that you fully understand you literally cannot go back and change them and coming from a place of constantly saying I wish that never happened I wish there's a poem that I wrote in welcome home where I caught myself again in a moment of awareness wishing the pain away and I wrote a poem about it and I said I wish I could go back to the moment before the moment that I this I wish I could go back and then and maybe at some point I can read it but I you know at the end I say but I'm so grateful that I can't go back because if I'm wishing the pain away then I'm wishing the lesson away I'm wishing the growth away I'm wishing the the person that I am today away so it's those two elements that are the most important be aware of yourself in the now and leading up to now accept yourself leading up to now and in the now have you read the road less traveled by m scott peck no by any chance no (laughs) should i (laughs) so it's really incredible because in the book he talks about how if a child isn't given love by their parents in the first 10 or 20 years of their life, they're going to hold on to that feeling and they might not have self-discipline or um, the appropriate mental health to be in the world I and how parental love is. <laughs> I agree with that so much. And, <laughs> and, and so what you're doing is so incredible because it seems like from my perspective that you didn't feel parental love from a young age, but now you are using that situation to transform yourself to something greater, to to a version of yourself that is disciplined, that is full of love. And mm-hmm. so my question to you is like, if you're talking to someone who didn't feel parental love in at, from the first 10 or 20 years of their life, what would you say to that person? Mm-hmm. So I've taken so much time to reflect on this in particular because I had to have these conversations with my parents and here's what I experienced. I experienced a certain level of blaming them for not loving me the way that I needed to be loved when I was younger and blaming the way that I was now at whatever point it was that I was talking to them about this on them saying like I'm like this because you didn't love me when I was younger and I experienced some resistance with them because from their point of view they loved me but and then when I learned about love languages 
I was like, okay, now I can actually verbalize to you that the way I receive love is not the way that you give love. So maybe you thought giving love was providing for me financially or making sure that I had a roof over my head and food to eat every day. But what I needed was someone to sit with that little girl and help her process her emotions. Someone to to tell that little girl, I love you. Like those things are so important to me. They're important to me to this day in my life. They're not things that I compromise or that I negotiate. Like those are things that are fundamental to my relationships with others, my close relationships with others. And so I would tell whoever is listening to this who never received that parental love, First of all, accepting that it the two things could exist, that your parents loved you, but they didn't love you the way you needed to be loved. So accept that those two things can exist, and at the same time, you can express those things to them without expecting them to fully validate them, because for them to fully validate those feelings for you or those realities for you, they are on some level having to admit that they were bad parents. That's how they are going to see it. That if I admit to you that I didn't love you the way you needed to be loved, then I'm admitting to you that I'm a bad parent. And that's a very difficult thing for someone to sit with or admit or, and remember, they're raising you probably the way that they were raised. So they didn't just come out of nowhere. You might become a parent one day. Maybe you are a parent and maybe you're giving your children what you believe you needed when you were younger. And you never know. One day that child might grow up and say, but I needed something else from you and you didn't give it to me. So think of how you would respond. And really, I think the best thing that a parent can do for a child is pay attention I think that's the, I don't have children of my own. I have nieces and nephews, but I pay attention. I look at them. I watch them. I notice, I notice a change. Like one time I went over to uh, my brother's house and my niece, who's always like happy and bubbly, she was just sitting there like this and she looked really sad. And that was a moment where if you're paying attention, there's so much that could come out of it. But when you're neglectful in that way and think oh you know she'll get over it or we don't talk about emotions in this house or whatever then you teach the child that their feelings don't matter and that what they experience doesn't matter even though that might not be your intention your intention might be I want to shield them from how cruel the world could be so let's not get like get them to be emotional so I think when I think of my parents, I think they were brought up in a way where emotions were just not important. Emotions, it's like, and in my culture too, emotions aren't important. They're important in poetry and beautiful in poetry. Like some of the most beautiful poetry that you'll hear is in Arabic. But when it comes to actually expressing your emotions, it's like nobody wants to hear it. You know, we'll watch it on TV, but we don't talk about it. So If you've experienced any kind of parental neglect or lack of love or lack of attention, understand that you do not need their validation of that for it to be true. You do not need their validation of that for it to be true. You know what you lived through. Just like with any experience that you go through in your life right now, 
you know what you're living through. You know what kind of pain you're experiencing. You don't need the person who caused the pain to give you permission to feel the pain. You feel the pain and you process it, but don't put your healing at the mercy of their admission. You might never get it. And in most cases, you don't. And even if you do, it comes across as like, here, take it. Like, yes, I'll admit whatever. It doesn't feel genuine. So don't base... Don't base your healing on what the person who caused you to experience what you experienced to get to a point where you're like, I need to heal from this. Don't don't make it depend on their validation or their permission or just process it. And so going back to my own experience with talking to my parents about those things, we're at a point where we understand that I'm never going to say oh, I was wrong about my childhood because I know what I lived through and I know the kind of emotional hole I always felt on the inside and I know what kind of instability I experienced. So they know that that's never going to change when I reflect back, but I also know that from their point of view, if they could go back and change it, they would, but they can't. And so... It's not that, you know, they sat there and said, we're so sorry, and that was wrong. And like I said, there it's just the level of acceptance. We know we did what we could. I know they did what they could. But that doesn't erase what happened. So whoever is listening, that's, even if you don't have those conversations with them, you know what happened, you accept it, and you know that regardless of what they tell you, even if it's complete denial, it does not erase what you went through. You said something so beautiful that gave me chills, which was <laughs> a parent, the best thing a parent can do for a child is pay attention. And mm-hmm. that struck me so much Aww. because the best thing you can do for yourself is to pay attention to yourself. And yes, if absolutely. you think about life in that context, So talk about that. Why is the best way for you to love yourself, for you to pay attention to yourself? Isn't that what we want from everyone around us? Someone to pay attention? Like when you're struggling with something and you're in a group of people, you're among a group of people and you're really feeling lonely and alone, isn't what you're like aching for and craving someone to say I noticed something's wrong are you okay so like it breaks my heart when I talk about these things like this but I why can't we do that for ourselves why don't we do that for ourselves why do we wait for someone to do it for us and then as a result of not someone not doing it for us we make the conclusion that maybe they're not doing that for me that must mean that I don't deserve that kind of attention But it's like you are the first person who should be meeting that need of yours. And and I don't mean it in a way that's like you can live alone your whole life and not have people around you and you don't need anybody. That's not what I mean at all. But we don't know how to self-soothe. We soothe externally. We wait for someone to say, hey, something's wrong. What can we do about it? Or it, it feels so much better to get it from an external source than it does to just get it from within 
and it feels better because that's what we've been doing our whole lives it's familiar but once you start having that internal dialogue with yourself and saying what's really going on here like why am i feeling this way i swear to you there are nights when i don't sleep at all i'm up all night because i'm reflecting on certain things that i'm experiencing and trying to make sense of myself as i make sense of the things that are happening and that's the best time for me to do it because there's no one around it's only me i'm having a conversation with myself and then i notice during the day the noise of the people around me who are either trying to paint the story that i'm thinking about differently or trying to divert from it or trying to make me feel like there's something wrong with me for thinking about it that much being caught up in that noise reminds me that at the end of the day it all comes down to me and what i decide to accept as my reality and my truth and you can't get there without paying attention to yourself you, you you can't get there without paying attention to yourself uh, when i was telling you about my niece sitting there like this really sad i could have ignored her was that going to take away what she was feeling no she probably would have internalized what she was thinking had i not had that conversation with her right so now think of yourself when there is a moment where you really need the person in the mirror to say I know you're not okay. What can we do about this? What do we need to change about the way that you're thinking or feeling or internalizing your thoughts and feelings? What do we need to do about that? If you don't do that, then you allow that thought or that feeling or that emotion to become true within without even negotiating with it and understanding where it's coming from and why you're experiencing it the way that you're experiencing it. So when you don't pay attention to yourself, just like you, when you don't pay attention to that child that you're raising or to then you leave moments that are so crucial for connection with yourself or with that person, you just you erase them and you miss them. So in moments when you are feeling a certain feeling, when you just sense that you need to sit with yourself, Do not distract yourself. Don't go on your phone. Don't call someone just so that you could forget about what you're going through. Pay attention to and don't be afraid. And I talk about this in Welcome Home. I say, you know, the pain is it's it's like an ache that's knocking on your door. And you think, I'm not going to open the door because once this is inside my house or inside of me, then that means I have to deal with it and I don't know where to start or it means like You know when people say when I started going to therapy I realized I had a lot more work to do than I, you know, it's like you're opening a can of worms and now you actually have to deal with it. But I again I talk about this in Welcome Home and I say, but the truth is that door where the ache is knocking is not outside of you. It's not like the pain is only going to enter if you open that door. That door is inside of you already. That ache, that pain is inside of you already. So you're either choosing to say, I see you. I hear you to that pain to yourself or 
You say, I'm going to ignore you until you go away on your own. The truth is, ignoring something doesn't make it go away. And I always give the example of, you know, we all have that room in our house or that corner where we throw things that we're just like, I'll deal with this one day. That doesn't disappear. It's only going to get bigger and bigger. The pile or the room is just going to get fuller and fuller. And there will come a day when you will have to go through everything and say, does this serve me any purpose? Do I want to keep this? And many people keep it for a long time because they're not ready to let it go, but they're not ready to deal with it. We do that with pain. So I say, the longer you ignore that knock at, on your door of a pain that's aching to be heard and seen by you, what you're doing is you're adapting to your life to that noise being in the background. That knock doesn't go away. What goes away is your annoyance by it and your sense of urgency to do something about it. But you adapt your life to that noise in the background. That's why another time a pain knocks on your door, I don't want to deal with it. I already have other ones that I haven't dealt with, but uh, you know, that's why we become numb and that's why we avoid conversations that are that's why so many people struggle with their relationships. Usually one person is just so unwilling to dive into the conversation because they're so unwilling to dive into themselves and feel their pains and feel their aches. So I don't remember what your original question was, but <laughs> paying attention, pay attention. Just honestly, all it takes is for you, the moment you feel something or a thought cro crosses your mind, just stay still and catch it. And I talk about this in the, in the self-love room in Welcome Home. I say when I meditate, Meditation to me isn't, you know, what you imagine in commercials and on TV and in movies. Meditation could happen anywhere. It's a simple process of sitting with yourself and looking at your thoughts and emotions as visitors. Like, they're not you. It's the, this thought that might be crossing your mind, like, I'm never going to find love. I'm never going to. Once you separate yourself from it, and say, you know what, I am the manager of these thoughts and emotions as opposed to I am these thoughts and emotions. When you don't pay attention, you become those thoughts and emotions. But when you do pay attention, you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's crossed my mind quite a bit lately, but is it true? And why am I thinking that it's true? Where is it coming from? What other moments in my life showed me that this is true? And if I could go back to that mo those moments and look at them logically and with the level of knowledge and awareness that I have now, would I say that that was true in those moments? That's all it is. And then you are able to just be without like defining yourself by what they tell you about yourself. But if you don't pay attention... You're that little child sitting at the table like this, who in an hour won't be like this anymore, but you've learned a lesson that whatever you were feeling in that moment is true and it doesn't matter. So don't do that to yourself. I started meditating two years ago. <laughs> yeah, how's that going? At yeah, and at first it was, it was really tough because I think... Mm -hmm. In the beginning, 
I noticed exactly what you were talking about, which was like, oh my God, there's a lot of work here to do. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm, if I really want to get good at meditation or, or be where I want to be or clear my head or I'm going to need to do a lot of this. And that was apparent right away. But, but the thing is taking the first step was everything that needed to happen and just focusing on the next step of the next meditation session, as opposed to look how far I need to go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something really important. So what would you say to someone who has been thinking about meditation, has been thinking about looking at their own thoughts, has been thinking about going to therapy, but now they, they haven't done it yet. What are you going to tell that person? <laughs> It's so seductive to continue living your life in a way where you are ignorant of yourself and of the truths and realities that you must deal with to really be yourself in this world. It's seductive to not do anything because you know that doing something is going to require a lot of work and to just say, you know what, I've accepted this is how my life is and it's not going to change. But you are accepting a stagnant life. You are accepting a life where all the things that happen to you now define who you are as opposed to you defining who you are. Going to therapy or meditating or whatever form of diving deep into what you believe about yourself and the realities that you currently accept, that's not something that's going to um, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to hurt you. If anything, it's going to make you see yourself for who you are. It will hurt in the process. Healing is painful. Healing is messy. Healing isn't, you know, you see people's stories and, you know, you watch a movie that's two hours that covers years and years and years and you're you're like, I want that. Like, I, I want healing to be this magical thing where... I just want the pain to be taken away. And that's why we distract ourselves with worldly things like like our phones. Like for some people it's alcohol, for some people it's drugs. We, we want something that will take what we're feeling right now or what's knocking on our door. Just take it away. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to feel it. It's too much. I, you know, it's, it's easier to blame others for what we went through than it is to just say, you know what, yes, that was your fault, you should be accountable for it, but my job is not to sit in constant reactive mode to what you did and define myself by what you did. My job is to heal myself and tell myself that everything that what you did told me about myself is not true. You don't get there without listening to yourself you don't get there without therapy of some sort whatever that sort is whatever works for you some people really enjoy energy healing some people enjoy talking about what they went through some people enjoy having you know some kind of uh, specific therapy for trauma or but you don't get there without doing the work that needs to be done 
and it all begins and the end it all begins with paying attention to yourself and ends with you knowing yourself and you defining yourself and seeing your life as it is not as you wish it were and not as you believe it should be but it's not no you see your life as it is and you take control over where you want to take it instead of just submitting to this reality and saying you know the more i dive into this the worse it's going to become someone once said and i don't know who who it who the person is to get somewhere you've never been you have to do something you've never done so to get to a place where you are healed and where you know yourself you need to stop doing the same thing over and over and over again i always tell people stop knocking on doors that don't open and what i mean by that is stop doing the same thing that constantly takes you to the same end like this is what people do when they're rejected they constantly try to go back to that person and there's something about the addiction to that feeling of i tried it's like the high and low there's hope and then i crash down and then the hope is again when i try to go back and it's like we do that with partners we do that with family we do that with friends we do that with friend groups and jobs and things that we're trying to do in life we try the same path that we know what the ending is and and what if the reason that we go down that path is that that ending is so familiar to us and we're like I've dealt with it before I can deal with it again but it's so much safer than trying something new I've never tried before what if that door closes in my face for the first time that's going to hurt even more but how do you know how do you know when you keep going back to the same place so if there is I know this is a little bit off topic but not really but if whoever is listening if there is any kind of relationship in your life not just romantic relationships where you feel like you are constantly trying to make that person see you hear you listen to you change something so that the two of you could be more connected or understand each other more you're constantly doing that and that door just won't open you are only hurting yourself because it's like punching a wall and you're hurting your fist you're not the wall isn't changing so accept that when a door consistently doesn't open there is absolutely no need to continue trying to open it you stop and you change your direction and you go to the places where you don't places that don't require you to break yourself for you to be worthy of entry go to the places where the door opens with for you fully as you are you're accepted as you are there is no compromise on your self esteem or your self worth recently i made i made a tiktok where i said do not sit at a table where what's being negotiated is your self worth Don't sit at a table where what's being negotiated is your worthiness of love or respect or attention or consistency. You choose how to people always say, like you asked me this question earlier about confidence. How do I become confident? How do I love myself? It's by loving yourself. How do I come from a place of self-worth? Show it through action. You practice through action. 
say no when you really want to say yes, just so that you could feel a connection with someone. But that yes is requiring you to somehow chip away at your sense of who you are or your values or show yourself that you are able to control falling for your need to connect and that you are able to recognize that that is what you want but that it actually requires you to not be yourself to connect so show yourself through action everything that you believe you deserve on a spiritual inspirational level that's what I was when I was telling you earlier I catch myself in moments where I catch myself in moments where I don't apply what I know sometimes I catch myself accepting scraps of love or attention and 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 I quickly have to divert from that and say Najwa this this was a moment when you abandoned yourself this was a moment when you betrayed yourself so let's try not to do that next time and so so that's what I mean show yourself through action the kind of love that you deserve and respect that you deserve show yourself through not pretending to be confident I wouldn't say pretend to be confident but if you want to be that confident person understand that before you know who you are you can't be confident because confidence is all about standing in your own truth in your own light in your own reality and if you don't know yourself you can't be confident because that confidence is it's not stemming from you it's stemming from what you believe those around you need to see to look at you as confident that should never be the end goal because you will never be seen by every single person out there the way that you want to be seen all you can do is be who you are what they see is not up to you right oh my god this is so powerful <laughs> and it's just like it's what i say and think on a daily basis but from a different voice and it's so <laughs> empowering to hear you speak so eloquently on these topics i want to ask about you know we've talked about growth mm -hmm. and we've talked about putting content out online yes. and so how does that you're changing as a person you're growing as i'm sure you have in the past five years and you're looking at your stuff that you wrote maybe five years ago. How do you have compassion or love for yourself if you don't agree or would word it slightly differently, something you wrote? How would I have compassion for myself? Sorry, repeat that question. How, would, how do you have compassion for yourself if some of the, the things you wrote about or the way you explored a topic mm. has changed over time? <laughs> I thought about that so much um, as I was writing Welcome Home because I would read some of my old poetry and think I would never write something like this now because it was full of, not full, but many poems of mine came from a place of, you know, how could you do this to me? or there was a bit of ego and pride in some poems that kind of showed like, I'm better than you and how could you 
do this to me or you know if there's anybody who should be hurting the other person it's me or I am so different from the person I was when I wrote those words because I was in a stage of my healing where I was angry and I was um, looking to, yes, looking to heal, but there were certain moments where I did definitely allow my ego to override my higher self and my maturity and my logic. Um, and now that I look back at those poems, there was a period of time where I was like, Ugh, I don't want to look at them. But now I'm like, but that was part of my journey. And every person who goes through any kind of pain, you go through the stages of grief, you go through, you know, being someone who when you're fully healed or before you really broke that big break, those stages are going, you're going to feel like you're someone different. Like you're, you understand. That's why I would get angry and then I would find myself at the end of the day crying over certain things I said or over certain things I did because I'm like, that's not me. I don't, I don't like hurting someone, even if it's just through words. I'm not that kind of person. So I'm, I, I, I've made 1000% peace with my younger self who was trying to heal and um, wrote certain things that uh, at that moment they felt right and they felt true to what I was going through and I don't regret one bit of it because if I had skipped that stage uh, it's going to show up in my life at some point where I'm going to say you know I never even like experienced anger and you know I wrote about anger and welcome home because I never thought I had the right to be angry. I thought anger meant that I couldn't control myself and that I couldn't control my emotions. Like I really thought if I get angry at someone, that means they have power over me because now they've caught me that way. You know, I'm angry, but that's not true. You have the right to be angry when something wrong happens to you. You have the right to be angry when someone says something to you that's really disrespectful. Doesn't mean that you're going to treat them the same way, but you reserve the right to feel what you're feeling as opposed to saying, I'm going to feel it on the inside and I'm going to calm myself down on my own without saying the words that I know I need to say. Like anger doesn't, the purpose of anger is to tell you wait a minute, something wrong happened. So if you try to curb that anger, you are, it's not about controlling your reaction. You can definitely control your reaction. But don't say, if I experience anger, that means that I, my emotions are all out of control or there's something wrong with me. Some people can't control their anger and they feel it and then they project it right away and they'll treat you like even worse than the way you treated them with whatever it is that you said or did that made them angry. That's wrong too. So there's the two extremes, completely allowing your anger to go out of hand and then not, not feeling that anger because you think you don't have the right to be angry. And I personally experienced that because I grew up with a very religious education and uh, culturally speaking, you know, 
to be that kind, calm girl was like the goal. And everyone wanted that. Um, you know, a, a good girl is soft-spoken, never gets angry, controls her emotions, all that stuff. And so whenever I would feel angry, I would catch myself later just like crying because I'm like, but I am angry. I can't make peace with this person right away. I need time to process what happened. I need to be able to say that's not okay. And when you don't experience anger, it's like you're taking away that um, the sensor. It's like we have fire alarms in our houses. We have that sensor that says, you know, there's a problem here. Use your anger that way to try to, you know, not get to a point where someone or a circumstance doesn't completely burn you out simply because you didn't give yourself the right to say stop this is wrong because blah 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 you know so I just yeah when I think back to myself during those times that I think I channeled my anger in in ways that now don't resemble me I channeled it in ways where I would it, it was like this this loop that I would go through where I would sense that anger on the inside and then I would say, no, you can't be angry. And then I would start making excuses for the people hurting me. And then I would, you know, accept apologies they never gave or assume that like they're going to change their behavior just because like, how could someone not? Because I'm like that as a person. And then I would be my loving, caring self. And then I would get the same kind of thing. And it was this toxic loop that I was going through. And so now when I look back, I say, you know, you were doing the best you can with what you knew. You didn't know that you had the right to be angry, say no, say that hurt, say, you know, I forgive you, but you're no longer in my life. I... I, I love my past self just like I love my present self. You mentioned that there was a big breakthrough somewhere mm -hmm. and I would love to go deeper into that. You know, <laughs> do you look at yourself as like the past version of yourself and the current version of yourself and in between there's a moment or a big breakthrough that made that happen or was it more of a gradual process? It was definitely a gradual process. I talked about it in the clarity room in Welcome Home and how I actually talk about this point specifically where people imagine that there is just one moment in your life that just everything changes, like everything clicks in and now everything changes. That's not how it usually happens. Usually it happens in little waves. It's just like learning to say no. It's so hard to imagine saying no when you've never said no, but then once you say it the first time, then you're like, oh, I can say no. So then it evolves into other, or it, it um, seeps into other areas of your life where you now feel like, oh, I can say that. So it's the same thing for me. So there were certain moments that happened where I was literally pushed into a corner where all I had to speak up for myself was myself so I had to make that choice of speaking up or not speaking at all and in those moments to me it seemed like a matter of life and death 
for me to speak up for myself. And so once I spoke up for myself once and realized that my biggest fear being abandonment, um, being abandoned by so many people, friends and some uh, distant family members and, you know, people that I worked with, them abandoning me or, you know, having bad things to say about me when that came true and that's my biggest fear and 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 I lived through it and I understood oh I can live with that yes it hurts so much but but I'm okay like I don't need that so once that came that became clear to me then in other moments where there was an opportunity for me to speak up for myself not necessarily just about like someone hurting me an experience of me getting hurt but also me making a choice for my own life for myself um like for example wearing the hijab i used to wear the hijab for 13 years and taking it off was a way of me saying like this is who i am and I know that many people are not going to approve with it, of this, but you know, being able to get to that level of courage to make that kind of change in my life, knowing how many people I was going to lose, that didn't come out of nowhere. That came from another moment when I spoke up for myself and understood that it is way more important for me to be there for myself than it is for others to be there for me it's way more important than I that I live my life in a way that's authentic than it is that I live my life in a way that someone else perceives as she's worthy of love she's worthy of whatever because what would end up happening was if that was my goal to be accepted by someone else then then I would change myself to be exactly what that person wanted just so that I could say oh see I deserve love because that person is loving me but but they're not loving me they're loving who I made myself become so that with the end goal that they would love me so through all those moments it was becoming more and more clear to me that to be myself authentically I had to let go of other people's approval being an indication of me being okay it's I'm not saying I'm better than everybody and I know everything that's right but what I do know is that no one knows more than I do what my best most authentic life looks like no one knows that more than I do when someone tells me I know you better than you know yourself I'm like you actually don't maybe you've observed my behaviors and you know maybe you've observed my behaviors and they've told you certain things about me but don't don't claim to know me better than I know myself because that can never be true you know um and for someone to just feel entitled to say that or feel like they can say that that's also not someone that you want in your life in the first place someone who thinks that they know you better than you know yourself it's like go know yourself you know (laughs) don't focus on knowing me to the point where you feel you could say that so it's 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 the same way this this concept of um being your most authentic self and 
not allowing someone to dictate what that looks like for you like don't allow your authenticity to be the price of someone accepting you into their life that's a very heavy price to pay because that you're hiding parts of who you are to stay in that life and it's just like why don't you see your life as worthy of fully and wholly holistically being welcome why don't you see that why do you have to chip away at yourself to feel like you're worth it in some way um and and once you feel that way it's honestly the most empowering feeling in the world because you feel like you are the most powerful person in your life not in an arrogant kind of way but all of a sudden all of that power that you're giving to everyone around you by consciously or subconsciously or not even consciously at all you're allowing them to take that power by you know seeking their approval seeking their validation seeking that they're okay with you seeking that they you know treat you the way that you know you need to be treated but you're doing it over and over and over and over again you're constantly have to make those reminders you're giving them power over your well-being over your emotions over your emotional state over and that affects everything in your life it takes you away from going after what you want to go go after if you live your life in a state where you observe the people around you and how they treat you in a way that's like i will tell you one time that something hurts me or that i don't accept something and I don't want to have to repeat it. If you have to repeat it over and over and over again, then again, you're knocking on that same door that's not opening, right? When you're in a state of being at home with yourself or knowing fully who you are and what you stand for, you stop repeating yourself and you remove yourself. You say that's not something I want. Okay, I'm not seeking it anymore. That's not a way of treatment that I want. I'm not going to try to change it anymore. That's how powerful it is to put your authentic self above the acceptance or approval of those around you because you are the boss, not someone else. And you could do it while being kind. Like look at me. I'm kind. I'm an empath, but I don't allow someone to, for example, uh, someone to, to, to dictate for me how to think or how to feel or someone to continuously disrespect me and I'm just sitting there thinking, well, that's all I deserve, you know? I, I can be kind by saying you know that really hurt my feelings and i don't accept something like that and and i can remove myself you don't have to be mean you don't have to be a cold-hearted person to do it i think people struggle quite a bit with setting boundaries when they've never set boundaries before or saying no when they've never said no before or feeling like expressing their emotions and their thoughts is a burden when they've never done that before and so what happens is you try to do that and if it's with the wrong people you will get 
it doesn't necessarily have to be through words, but you will be made to feel like that is too much. And so what you will do is instead of telling yourself and affirming, like, I'm just trying to express myself and just because someone says that's too much or makes me feel like it's too much, that doesn't mean that it's true. Instead of doing that whole thing, you know, ah, I don't want to cause, I don't want to be a burden on them, so I'm just going to, like, that's how they know me my whole life. I've never raised my voice. I've ne- not raised my voice as a yell, but I've never, like, spoken up. And But the reason that they were at peace with you is that you never caused them the inconvenience of having to in their view it's an inconvenience of having to see you and hear you and you deserve so much more than that you don't deserve for someone to just be there in your life you deserve someone to be there present in your life I go on tangents a lot by the way but that's just how I talk (laughs) I absolutely love it. Keep going on tangents. But <laughs> how does it feel to, to be someone who wasn't seen for who they really were at one point in their life and now you do? Uh, I feel I feel very free and liberated and I feel I know it sounds weird but I'm a poet. Like I feel like I can actually breathe whereas before I always felt like there was just a little bit of air that was okay for me to breathe and now it feels like my heart is open my soul is open like I can be me without feeling this heavy weight on my heart or on my shoulders or and you probably read this everywhere these mountains that you are carrying you were only supposed to climb but I always felt before like I I was like everywhere I went I was carrying the burden of feeling like I'm too much and carrying the burden of no one's ever going to love me and I'm never going to be good enough my my grades aren't high enough uh you know I didn't get to this program I I, I'm not part of this friend group I don't matter to anybody those things went with me everywhere I went and then I would look for confirmations that they were true all over the place instead of looking for the complete opposite because I didn't believe the complete opposite You know, this has been like a major, major point of reflection for me. You know, you know, when someone says something to you and it really hurts your feelings, like something that they're accusing you of, like you're not really a good person. You're not you're not the person I thought you were. When someone would say that to me before, it would hurt me so much. But now I'm at a point where if someone says that. I can see it. And I can say, wow, I can't believe that someone actually thinks I'm not a good person. But it doesn't hurt me because it's not true to me at all. Whereas before, because I constantly judged myself, I really like questioned, am I a good person? Because if I am a good person, then why aren't all these good things coming my way? So back then, when someone would make a comment it would just confirm that for me. So when someone makes a comment towards you and it hurts you so much and you're not able to let it go, please ask yourself, do I on any level believe this about myself? Because if you don't, it doesn't hurt that much. Yeah. 
it also goes in the opposite way too, right? If someone says a compliment to you and you get so yes. attached to it, then all of a sudden you're at the mercy of that person not liking you anymore. So exactly. staying in your lane. Yeah, and and making sure you know yourself, make sure that the the compliments or the criticism don't make you go too high or too low. Yes. It and and sometimes like someone can compliment you every 10 seconds and you're still going to need it because you don't believe it about yourself. So if it goes away, you're like, "Oh, where did mm. that go?" Right? So or you look beautiful today. Well, if you don't feel beautiful, a billion people could say that to you and you're not going to believe it. So it's the same thing with the positives and with the negatives in your life. But genuinely reflect on this. If there is something that you don't believe about yourself, you immediately and automatically shed the people from your life who believe that to be true about you because it's simply not something that you're willing to negotiate or compromise on or I wonder what I did to make them so it's not about like like I said none of this is about being arrogant and saying I don't need you and I don't need to explain myself to you it's not that way at all but again there is a difference between someone making an accusation about your character and about who you are as a person versus them saying, you know, when you said that, it made me feel X, Y, Z. There's a big difference there. There's a big difference between someone like characterizing you as a bad person or saying you are a liar or you are those are or you don't deserve to be respected because you did this or you did that. Those things are so different from you know, little moments that we experience with people and they bring them up. And, and our job is to listen to that person, understand, validate what they're feeling and just clarify what, you know, what your intention was, not by saying like intent versus impact, just say, you know what, I understand how that impacted you. And I apologize for that. Um, but again in in that moment you're not apologizing for who you are you're not apologizing for a characteristic about yours you are apologizing for something that you did or something that you said there's a massive difference there so again you could be a good person and still speak up for yourself you could be a good person and still put someone in their place and remind them that there is a there is a boundary that can't be crossed yeah Speaking about intention, one thing you said was when you post something, you post so much on all these mm -hmm. different social media platforms, but when you post something, you ask yourself and remind yourself of your intention, which is, yeah. is my intention to get likes or is my intention to genuinely help someone out there? And yes. so I'm curious how this came about and what this intention means to you. Mm-hmm. So any person who says they've never, ever, ever been affected by social media, I mean, it, social media is engineered in a way to affect you and to play on your insecurities. And so we've all gone through a phase where we're like, you know, why am I not getting enough likes or why am I not getting enough follows or 
And for me, when I first started doing my writing, my intention was never to grow my audience. It was never, it was more like, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. But then once my audience started growing and I started uh, becoming part of a bigger community of people who write and post their writings or authors or I would look at what others were doing or how much they were growing and think like maybe I need to do something different to make sure that I reach those same places and again that was very early on and once I like really sat with myself and thought about that like what does it really mean to have a bigger number of followers on social media what does it really mean to have more likes it really doesn't mean anything you're reaching the people that you're meant to reach and if your posts are resonating with certain people that's all that matters like it, it's not about numbers and you know keep your intention as pure as it was at the beginning which is to express your emotions and help others make sense of theirs and so I always ask myself that question and yes do I get blown away when one of my posts does really well yes but it's not like haha I got this many likes it's more like this helped so many people like that makes my heart so happy um and I've also reflected on that because there's a scene in Friends where Phoebe and Joey are talking about, um, you know, how how genuine can you really be with your intentions if, you know, even if you get happy that you made someone happy because, you know, that makes you feel a certain way. So maybe your intention isn't fully to just there's like a really funny scene where Phoebe was like oh that made him so happy that makes my heart so happy and she's like no no you know like I don't want it to be mistaken <laughs> that may that maybe my intention was to just feel better about myself that I made someone feel better so I reflect on that too and I'm like you know what you deserve to take credit for the work that you do and it's not like I know myself when I scroll through my dms and I see like to this day, I see a message that is so moving, I start crying. And I, I, I don't think, oh, I have 1.1 million followers and I'm, when I'm scrolling through these stories, it's me. It's like bumping into me at a, uh, at a restaurant or out in public and sharing your story with me. I'm still that same emotional, person who just I, I genuinely when I see someone I, I wrote about this in Welcome Home there was one day when I was driving and I saw this old man on a bike on the other side of the road and I could easily see that he had fallen off his bike and he had blood all over him and literally all I wanted to do was make a U-turn and I couldn't because there was like a big barrier in the middle and help him. And I could see that people were helping him. But for the next 10 minutes, my hand is on my heart and I'm thinking of that man. Like, did he get help? Did he? And so I know where I'm coming from with the kind of work that I'm doing. I know that there is a genuine part of me that wants to help people be better and feel better and be more compassionate with themselves and not be so hard on themselves. And so my intention always comes from that place and when I catch myself I catch myself and I pay attention and I redirect what's it feel like you know you, you talked about the dms you get and overwhelming 
messages, mm-hmm. but what's it feel like when someone tattoos your writing <laughs> to their body? It's crazy. I just, uh, I remember the first time someone sent me a tattoo, I was like, really? Wow. And then I just get them all the time. But it's still so moving because it's like there's someone who chose to make their body a permanent home for my words. Like that's such an honor. It, mm. It's such an honor to know that like my words helped someone so much that they wanted to constantly see them and be reminded of them. Yeah. Wow. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, Najwa, this has been incredible i feel so grateful and blessed to have done this conversation and i hope we can do it sometime in the future because i learned so much and i hope everyone listening did as well where can people find more from you they can find me on all social media platforms my uh, username is at n-a-j-w-a-z-e-b-i-a-n and likewise i love this conversation so much and it did not feel like an hour and a half and was it an hour and a half yeah an hour and a half wow this was amazing (laughs) yeah so grateful for you and hopefully people will enjoy it as well same